Uh, we have a special guest speaker this morning, and I'm so excited about this. He's a good friend of mine. Many of you know him. Uh, we have Simon Carl with us this morning. Simon was our, yep, let's hear it. Come on up, come on up. Simon was our, uh, was my intern for a few years, and then he was our student ministry pastor, and then he just recently moved back to Michigan this, this spring. And so uh, when I was looking for a guest speaker for this weekend, I said, hey, wouldn't it be fun to have him come back? And when I called him, he said, yes, that would be a lot of fun. Let's do that. And so Simon's back with us. He's continuing on in our disciple series. We've been looking at the 12 disciples this summer, looking at who these men were who did, you can go ahead, looking at who these men were who did life, with, with, life and ministry with Jesus and learning what we can learn from them about what it means to follow Jesus. And so our hope is that we are all following Jesus and that we can learn from these men who were his first followers. Uh, and so we've created these little cards for you to follow along with. This is our fifth disciple we're looking at this week. Uh, we're looking at John this morning, okay? And so if you don't, haven't gotten your cards, you can grab one on your way out. Just a great way to reinforce the learning. You'll learn some uh, interesting facts and some Bible, there's some places where you can find their stories out. Um, you can look at the scripture references there. So, um, so uh, I'm gonna hand it over to Simon to teach us from God's word this morning. Cool. Thank you. Let's do it. Uh, I wasn't actually planning on sharing this story, but the, the idea of learning from Jesus to live like him is funny. It's, it's cool, whoever you spend time with, you become more like. Uh, and so I was doing this, ooh, whoops. So I was doing this internship in uh, Michigan my first, after my first year of college, I believe. Uh, and it was uh, with a youth pastor in uh, Muskegon, the one that, who was my youth pastor. I spent so much time with him. Now he's like a lifelong friend and mentor. And one day in my internship, I'm sitting there and my phone is like this. It's like super close to my face and I'm just looking at something on my phone. And he walks by and smacks the phone into my face. And he's like, dude, why are you doing that? And I, I, like, I didn't understand why I was doing that. We thought about it. Justin, you see, he is blind in one eye and can't see out of the other. And so when he's on his phone, he's like this. And just by being with him, I learned to put my phone like that to my face. It's funny, but that's the truth. With these disciples that we're talking about, they lived with Jesus, and so they were able to learn and be like him. And I'm excited to talk about John today, but before we do, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these uh, men that uh, followed your son Jesus, that we can learn from them and learn how to follow Jesus as well. I pray for all of us that we can take a next step in being a disciple of Jesus today. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, so yeah, like Chris said, my name's Simon. Uh, I moved to Michigan and I started, oh, first of all, ACC, you people are awesome. You are so cool that you love each other with Jesus' love and anyone who's a part of this church is blessed to be part of it. I think if you're newer here or if this is your first Sunday, you made such a good choice by making ACC part of your weekend plans. Good job. Yeah, see, uh, ACC's awesome. Uh, okay. Now, I moved to Michigan, and I started working for a tree company, McFarland & Sons Tree Service. And uh, there's a lot of things in tree care uh, that I didn't know about. One thing that's really important in tree care are ropes. We use ropes to, like, take limbs off, and so they catch and don't fall on people's houses uh, or crack their driveways or smash cars, whatever. And so ropes are really important. Uh, and you have to know your knots to be uh, safe with it, uh, it's really important. And so there's one knot that's called a bowling on a bite. And so how a bowling on a bite is, is tied, you double up the rope like this, you make a little loop, you go up and through it, you let it fall down, and then you got to pull it through itself like this. And now you have like a double 
uh, rope and it won't move at all. Like you can put 10,000 pound tree on this and it's not moving. You can put it to like a trailer hitch of, uh, for like a truck and pull a tree over. If your friend is snuck, stuck in the snow this winter, you can use this knot. Uh, but I didn't know it at first. And so my brother Samuel, who I work with, he was going to teach me how to tie this knot. And so uh, he goes to teach me. We each have a rope in our hand. And so he goes, make the loop. I'm like, okay, made the loop. Now put it up and through. I, it did that. And then he says, pull it through itself. And I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. So, so, so I yank on this part of the rope and, uh, that's not working. And you know what he says? Simon, just pull it through itself. And I'm like, uh, where do I pull? How? And you know, guess what he said next? Simon, just pull it through itself. And each time got progressively louder. He kept saying the same thing. And it ended up being, Samuel, I don't know how to pull it through itself. I threw the rope at him and walked away. Later, we revisited the pulling it through itself. What it really means is this big loop, when you put it over, you follow it through the loop and you pull it through itself. But he wasn't slowing down to teach me that. He was just yelling, pull it through itself. And, and so I think we've all had experiences similar to this. Maybe it was like in a school for you and you didn't understand something and your teacher was like, just do this. Uh, or maybe it was a parent in a rule when you were a kid or whatever it is. We've all had experiences like this. I've actually experienced it also in a church sitting in the chairs that you guys are in when a pastor says something like, God loves you, and then you don't understand it. And then you know what they just say again, even louder? God loves you, and they just say it and say it and say it. And sometimes it just doesn't connect. Like pulling it through itself did not connect, and just yelling God loves you at you doesn't fully connect. We need to slow down and talk about what that actually means uh, because otherwise we won't get it. And luckily for us, there was this guy who lived in the first century. His name was John, and he hung out with this other guy in the first century named Jesus, and he learned a thing or two about love. Love is a really interesting thing. We use it in so many different ways. Like, I love my wife Elizabeth, and that's like a close relational marital love. I also love the country duo Florida Georgia Line. It's in a little bit of a different way. <laughs> I also love my brother. We're very close, a tight brotherly bond, but I also love eating donuts another way. I love my close group of friends, yet another kind of love, yet I also love the feeling of freshly clipped fingernails. And these are all just different kinds of loves. But the love that John talks about, the love that he writes about is God's love. And so we're gonna dive into John, who he is, and a thing or two about God's love that we learn from uh, John. So a little bit about John. He was the brother of James that I believe you guys talked about last week. He was good friends with Peter, who you guys have already talked about. Interesting with Peter, you can tell he's really good friends with Peter because in John's account of Jesus' resurrection, when they first find out about it and they run to the grave to see if he's there, you know what John writes in, his, in that uh, account? He writes, the disciple whom Jesus loved got there first. He's basically bragging, yeah, I'm faster than my friend Peter. Uh, that's, that's the kind of stuff that John does, and that, that's, that's who John is. He has uh, five books in the New Testament. He has the Gospel of John, which is an account or a biography of Jesus' life, what he did, what he said, who he interacted with. Uh, and then he has three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then he has a piece of apocalyptic literature that's about end times, and that's Revelation. So he's written a lot of stuff. And so in the main theme that I saw in reading through John 
Uh, also, the main theme in the, uh, 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 what's it called? The curriculum that Chris gave me also said God's love, so it matched up perfectly. Uh, and so uh, we're going to learn about uh, God's love. And so according to John, God is love. He was the original person to have said that. That uh, is, is a phrase that is actually used in our society today, but it's not always known that it was originally a Christian idea. It was, uh, John was the first person to write this, that God is love. And he's making a lot of claims by this simple little phrase, God is love. Uh, he, he's saying that love is defined by and started by God. When we start to talk and think about love, we think about it in the context of God and who he is. Uh, John was in a difficult time in his culture. You see him as a Jesus follower. He was in a position where uh, the Roman Empire wanted to kill out all of the Jesus followers because they said Jesus was king instead of Caesar. And then also the temple, the Jewish leaders, wanted to kill them out because they said Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And so he saw all of his closest friends. He's actually the only one of these disciples that was not martyred for his faith. And he saw a lot of problems happen in his culture and context. And he could have very easily said, God is hate. He could have easily said, God makes bad things happen. It kind of sucks to follow Jesus sometimes. But he didn't. He said God is love because he wasn't basing his idea of love and his idea of God on the culture or the things surrounding him. He didn't base it on the Greek influence in his life. He did not base it on his Instagram feed. What he based it on was actually his encounters with Jesus. Check this out. In the same letter that he says God is love, he opens it up like this. He says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen, like literally heard him with his own ears, saw him with his own eyes. He interacted with Jesus. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So in his letter where he says that God is love, he's basing it on what he saw and heard and interacted with Jesus himself. And then later in the letter, he says this, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. And so we think about Jesus giving up his life for us in his death on the cross. It is what we immediately think of. But Jesus gave up more of his life for John than just that. Jesus gave up his time to teach John. Jesus gave up being with his family to be with John and to give him a place of belonging. He gave up uh, spending time with others to, to focus on John and help give him a purpose. Uh, he gave up his position in heaven to come down to earth to spend time with John and to give him an identity as a disciple or a follower of Jesus. And, and so it's more than just giving up his life on the cross. It's giving up all of his life to love and care for these disciples. And John is the one we're looking at today. But his, his interaction with Jesus is what makes him say that God is love. And so when we think about God's love, we need to think that God's love is evident in Jesus. When we think about God's love, does God love me? We look at Jesus to see, is that true? Because that, that's what John did. And John, John was one who literally witnessed Jesus's death. Like he was there and saw his friend Jesus dead on the cross. And that was his interaction with Jesus. Um, 
that, that shaped his idea of God being love. And although you and I are not eyewitnesses of Jesus, John was, and he wrote it down so that way people like you and I who didn't witness it, did not witness Jesus like he did, can know Jesus like he did because of his testimony about him. And so that's why we're looking at what, what he wrote here because it helps us see who Jesus is to see this love that John talked about. Um, and so uh, let's, yeah, so let's dig in a little deeper on this uh, giving up of his life. Uh, like John said, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. What did that accomplish? Another way, another thing, you know, how people say, God loves you, and then you think about, like, what is that for? And then also, Jesus died for you is another one that we talk about all the time, which is good, we should. But oftentimes we have the question, like, why was that necessary? What did that actually accomplish? Is there just this guy dying for no reason? Or like, like what is that all about? Um, and maybe you are not a believer yet. Maybe you're just checking this faith thing out or this church thing out or whatever. Uh, let's talk about what that actually does and what that actually accomplishes, Jesus giving up his life on the cross. And so we're going to find it in probably the most uh, quoted Bible verse of all time, everywhere, anywhere. John 3.16, but we're going to go to uh, the, the next two verses as well, th John 3.16 through 18, and here's what it says. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And so it says that Jesus uh, came to save, uh, and there are those who believe and those who don't. Uh, and, and that's like a, a difficult thing to understand, but I think if we, we look at it a little bit deeper, we can understand what he's talking about here. And so in the first verse that I just read, it says, uh, so that everyone believes in him will not perish. Another way of saying perish is die or eternal death separated from God. Why does he have to add that in there? Why does he have to say will not perish? Well, it's because that's what we were all destined for because of our sin. Why is it that he didn't come to judge the world he came to save? Because the world was already judged. Because the world was already judged sinful. All of us already stand judged, condemned, judged. So judge is like a neutral word, neither good nor bad. You can judge good or judge bad. But this is judged against, like condemned. Uh, and all of us stand condemned because of our sin. Um, but before we go there, we have to think about what sin is. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to think about what sin is that would have us all condemned to perish. Uh, there's a lot of different ways you can talk about it that are true. So one is any thought or action that disobeys God. Yes, that is sin. Uh, another way of thinking about it is uh, anything that's idolatry. If you care more about something more than you care about God, uh, that is sin. Another way of thinking, thinking about it is missing the mark. If there is a target that you're shooting a bow and arrow at and it, you want to hit the bullseye, you want it to be exactly perfect, and you miss the mark, uh, that is sin. And another way that John specifically talks about sin is anything that is unloving towards the people that God loves. He says in his uh, letter, 1 John, he says, if someone does not love, God is not in them. <laughs> That's, he's being so strong with that because his way of thinking about sin, and if you think about all the sin that is talked about in the Bible, all of it, all of it truly is unloving to others. Think about pride. What does that do? 
It puffs you up and it puts others down and it's unloving to others. What about selfishness? That's me first, others down, that's hurting others. All the sin really is affecting our relationships with others. And so uh, I don't want to sit here and, and be the judgy Christian who's like, you're a sinner, you're so bad. So I'm going to phrase it this way. Is it possible that any of you are like me and have been unloving before? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have to tell you that or convince you of that. I, I think we're all in the same boat that way. And so we all stand in a position of being condemned to perish. But here's where God's love comes in. God's love came in and sent Jesus to take the punishment that we deserved. Jesus experienced that perishing on the cross. He experienced that condemnation on the cross. And so Jesus, who never sinned, became sin itself so that way you and I could become the righteousness of God. That's how he loves us and that's how he saves us. So instead of us perishing because we've placed our faith in him, another way of saying it is we've let him handle our sin instead of us handling it ourselves. And when we do that, we become saved. It's not just that God has a loving feeling towards you. He loves you enough to give his son Jesus to save you from the punishment of your sin. And that is really good news because all of us are in the same boat. And so according to John, God's love that is evident in Jesus saves. And this, I believe, is what John talks about as the primary way of us experiencing God's love is being saved. Not that our life will go perfectly. Uh, as I talked about John, 11 of his closest friends got murdered for their faith. He didn't have a good life. He, he struggled, yet he still chose that God was love. And I think in, in our time, uh, when we go through difficult things, it's hard to think about God's love for us. If your girlfriend breaks up with you, it's going to be hard in that moment. If you have a really tough thing go on at work and you don't get that promotion, it's going to be hard. If you have a big problem in your family, it's going to be hard to believe that God still loves you. But God didn't promise to eliminate all of those problems. He didn't promise that your girlfriend would never break up with you. So don't hold him to that. He didn't promise that he, your job would go perfect. He did not promise that your family would be perfect. What he did promise is that he would save you of your sin. And that is much bigger and much better than your life going perfectly. And so when we think about, does God love me? We think about, am I saved from my sin? And that is the primary issue. And that's the primary way that we can experience God's love. But he doesn't just save us from the punishment of the sin. He actually saves us from the punishment itself, or no, from the sin itself. He, not only the punishment, but the sin itself. John talks about this in his letter in 1 John 4.17. Uh, let's check this out. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Notice what it says there. Our love grows more perfect, meaning that we don't start out as perfect lovers, as we just talked about, all of us have been unloving. But when we encounter God's love for us, it starts a cycle of our love growing more perfectly, of us being like Jesus, being able to set down his life and put John up. That is what continues to happen in our lives as we continue to experience God's love by following Jesus and being his disciple. We, our love will grow more perfect. Uh, and, and I think that it kind of goes against uh, another, another part of our culture. And part of our culture says, like, 
uh, I am the way I am and nothing can change that. And I think it's actually better if we're open to being changed because I don't think that we are perfect lovers and I think it's actually helpful to change. And I've seen a lot of people's lives transform uh, from, from being transformed by God's love. Uh, God's love evident in Jesus saves and transforms, and it actually makes your life better when you transform into a more perfect lover. Uh, another example of this, so I kind of was uh, digging on my brother with the rope situation. Uh, he, he's kind of intense sometimes, uh, and I, he, he's actually been described before as rude and arrogant, which I don't see it, but that's what some people have said. Uh, but okay, here we go. So when I first started dating Elizabeth in high school, we were high school sweethearts, uh, my brother was really upset about that because she was taking my attention and time away from my brother. We were very close, and they actually got in a lot of fights about it. He, he, they were actually pretty rude and mean to each other, very unloving, to the point where on a youth group trip one time, our youth pastor had to sit the both of them down and have a very serious conversation about how they're treating each other. Like, it was actually pretty bad. He was very unloving. But my brother has been transformed by God's love over time. Uh, a few months ago, when I was at my last week here at ACC, and Elizabeth had to go up to Michigan and start her new job a week earlier than I did, Samuel texted her, and he, he was like, hey, uh, I know you're probably missing Simon, but uh, do you want the best next thing? I'll hang out with you. And so then he took, he took Elizabeth out to dinner and a drink while I was gone because he loves her and cares about her. And he's been transformed by God's love. On the same mission trip, we were doing a VBS for inner city kids in Philadelphia, and he wanted nothing to do with the kids. He, he was like, nah, I'm not about that. But now, in the company that we work for together, there's, uh, uh, our owners have uh, kids, boys that are like age 5 to 15, and he invests in those boys like crazy. He loves them, and he cares for them, and, and he really has a deep love for them, and he's been transformed by God's love over time. And it's just really cool to see that God loves you exactly as you are, and he also wants to transform and change you. And it's really cool that we can see that in our lives. It's not just God loves you, period. He loves you enough to save you exactly as you are and transform you into a more loving person. And that's, that's one of the things that John wants us to see about being a disciple of Jesus. And you know, something that I need some transformation in, that's for you guys. Uh, something that I need transformation in is dancing. I am a horrible, horrible, horrible dancer. We've been to some weddings lately and when I try to dance, me, me and Elizabeth try to like slow dance and it's like super awkward. I'm sure she's pretty good. I'm really bad. And I kind of like, like step and I, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like I'm terrible at it. I'm super, super bad. And then when there's like the fast songs, I kind of just stand there and go like, <laughs> like that's, that's it. I need transformation in my dancing. I need to be improved. Uh, speaking of dancing, raise your hand if you've seen High School Musical. Let me see how many. That's actually more than I was expecting. Now, leave your hand up if you like it. Okay, that's actually more than I was expected. I really like High School Musical, but now, what about uh, on Disney Plus, the High School Musical, the musical, the series? Have any of you guys seen that? 
Okay, see, we have two. Oh, we have a couple over here. See, I was expecting there to be practically zero. Uh, and when teaching how to do a sermon, proper sermon technique is if you're going to use a pop culture reference, you use one that everyone will get. But do you know what I care more about than proper sermon technique? Being real. And to be real, I really like teenage drama musicals. They are awesome. And so I binge-watched High School Musical, the musical the series, uh, just recently on Disney+. And in the show, there's the, the two main characters are Ricky and Nini. And Ricky and Nini, they, they were dating, right? And it was, oh, it's so cute. And then they broke up, and then Nini went off to the summer musical camp, uh, and she came back with a new boyfriend. And Ricky, extremely jealous, he uh, tried out for the play when he's not a theater kid. He, he's a skater kid, you know? He's like wearing vans, wearing kind of like beat up clothes. He's a skater dude. And he shows up for this play. He auditions and he actually gets the main role and he's trying to win Nini back, but he's not a dancer. And so in the first rehearsal, he goes to dance and he looks just as awkward as I do with dancing. But instead of just like this, it's like fancy high school musical. Like, and he looks like awkward. He's banging into Nini. He cannot do it. He's stepping on toes, and they look like they're actually really divided. Like, their dance is not cohesive. It's like bumping into each other, and it's brutal. But he is so dedicated that he practices at home, and he uh, continues and transforms his dancing to the point where he and Nini can dance in perfect unison. And instead of bumping into each other and having it be divisive, it actually becomes cohesive, perfect unity, where they're step for step unified with each other, and they look identical. And this is the same thing that can happen with God's love in the church. When, when we first start following Jesus, we are not good at loving. We are like Ricky, who's just bad at dancing. And we step on each other's toes, we fight, we bicker, and, and we're not a cohesive, unified unit. I know that's redundant, but getting the point across. It's not unified. But as we transform in God's love, we continue to be more in step and step with each other. We continue to be able to be unified as one group of people on mission to love the world like Jesus. And it is a beautiful thing when we see it. That has happened a bunch of times in the youth group here at ACC. In my experience with the youth group, there's been some fights. <sighs> I'm not wrong. Uh, <laughs> and so we, we have, uh, uh, there, there's been issues where people have been stepping on each other's toes. And, and I remember one specifically, uh, and we had like one of those sit down meetings where it's like, okay, guys, we're going to have to work this out. And there was fighting, there was bickering, there was finger pointing, there was the blame game. Uh, and we can think that this is just teenagers, but we see the world around us. This is adults too. We're all like this. Uh, and, and I remember the turning point in the conversation was when one of the students was like, you know what? After hearing other people's perspectives, I was wrong too, and I'm sorry. And then you know what that started? The next person, you know what? I was wrong too, and I'm sorry. And as, they, and as they continued to see like, hey, I'm wrong too, and I'm sorry, we talked about how 
Jesus has forgiven us at our worst, and so we're going to choose to forgive others at their worst. And when we did that, we went from being a youth group that was like, like fighting and banging heads and stepping on toes to becoming a unified people once again because of God's love that is evident in Jesus that saves us and transforms us and then unites us into a beautiful dance that is unified together. And so, so that's the last point here is that God's love as evident in Jesus saves, transforms, and unites all believers. And so I guess my, my next question for you is what is your next step? What are you going to do with this as a disciple of Jesus? This is according to John, what he wants you to know as a disciple of Jesus. What is your next step? Maybe your next step is maybe you don't know if you are saved from your sin. You don't know if you are saved from your unlovingness. Maybe you want to be saved by Jesus' love. Talk to whoever invited you to church today. Talk to uh, whoever sent you the link online. Who, who Talk to the person who you know that's a Christian and ask them about that. If you want to take that next step in your relationship with Jesus, maybe— there is a relationship in your life where you know you've been unloving and you know you need to be transformed in that relationship. Whatever your next step is in that relationship, go do it. I don't know what it's like, but I, I don't know what your specific relationship is, but I encourage you, no, I challenge you to go take that next step in loving in that relationship. And maybe there is an area of your life where you've been very divisive, where you have been argumentative and divisive. Uh, maybe your next step, you need to go apologize so that way we can be a united group of people who are following Jesus to love the world like he does. Um, so, according to John, God's love, as evident in Jesus, saves, transforms, and unites all believers. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that when I was a sinner, when I was unloving, when I was a jerk and I was rude, that you didn't leave me that way. You sent your son Jesus to take the punishment for my sin and to rise from the dead to offer eternal life for me and everyone who will ever believe in you. And I, and I thank you for that. And I thank you for transforming me from an unloving jerk into to a loving Jesus follower. And, and I know I'm not there yet, but you, you see me and you're moving me along in that direction. And I pray for the unity of the church worldwide, but specifically for ACC here. I pray that, that here at ACC that they will be a united group of people that are on mission to love the world how you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.